July 19th, 2011. It's a lot from Pedro Show.
for Pedro show it's Tuesday and kind of sweaty huh brother Matt yeah yeah but cooler here than everywhere else yeah. it looks like yeah not too sweaty. lucky uh, on a relative tip yeah but uh, if you were Italian on Black Hill or anywhere north <laughs> of Pedro right bacon it'd be a sweaty thing um, it's supposed to turn though huh get cooler yeah uh, we start off the show with the 
The Invisible by John Coltrane. Then we heard Pleasant Experience by El May. And Brother Matt, we got some uh, guests. Yes, welcome everyone. Hey, hello. Uh, Wards, is this your first time at Pedro? It's my first time in the actual place of okay. San Cal native, but first time in Pedro. Yeah. Awesome. Welcome. Yeah, we're talking about where he's from, is from OC, which isn't too far. No. No. Not too far. Probably closer than Hollywood yeah. is for us. Pedro, you don't pass through. you got to yeah. actually want to go there. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I know all the cities <laughs> off of the five, because that's from how you get from Orange County to, to Hollywood. Yeah. He's an inland guy. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people in Pedro, when they think, because if you look out the window here, mm -hmm. and you see the harbor, well, the rest of SoCal bends around, and that's the part of OCBC is Huntington, right. yeah. Newport. So that's what I think from what Pedro people mm -hmm. think, unless somebody's talking Disneyland. <laughs> and the farthest, like, punk rock people went was to Zed Records. That, then you went back home. Mm. You didn't come down here. There was no reason to come down here. Yeah, but everybody it. knew that that's where the Minutemen were from. Oh. And everyone knew that Black Flag was from some Hermosa. other place, Hermosa, Hermosa and the yeah. Red Cross. But you never went to those places. I think they were Hawthorne. Oh, Hawthorne, okay. Like Beach Boys, close to the uh, beach, yeah, but yeah. not on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but Zed is where I went. Yeah. So that was mutual then. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was hard for us to play down there. We tried as much as we yeah. could. Orange County was almost impossible. It was always changing. In the old, yeah. old, old days, there was some place called Ichabod's. Yeah. And there was a skating thing called Galaxy. Yep. And then there was uh, stuff on the beach at, uh, next to the Golden Bear. Mm. It's Safari Sam's. Mm. Sam had that place for a little while. And then things would spring up in stri strip malls and yeah. be gone. And, but we always tried to play there as much as we could. There's something on PCH near Sunset Beach called the Twilight Zone. It's a strip mall yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, there was, was a guy named one? Jerry Roach that had a couple of clubs. Well, yeah, of course, the Cuckoo's Nest. The Cuckoo's Nest, Nest and there was another place, too, uh, I think called Radio City, that was Radio like in, a, City, right. in a strip mall. And these, they had, you know, like no romance or cachet, just like no atmosphere. <laughs> but it was some place to, I mean, all of Orange County in general has no romance or atmosphere. <laughs> it has no history other than... Orange groves and right. and illegal people working to, to right. make money and stay alive. It's a brand new place. It was the fastest growing place in the United States when I moved. My family moved here. I think it was a hundred thousand people, and it grew to a million in just like five years. Wow! Just like aerospace and all this yeah. other whatever, and also the the, the smallest uh, population of black people. So it's totally homogenized right wing. Jagoffs, oh, and I can started. say that, yeah, because I can say I live there. People doing the yards ended up living there. It's yeah. different now. Uh, yeah. uh, Santa Ana, that yeah. area, they have a lady councilwoman, which, mm -hmm. what was his name? Uh, Dornan? Yeah. And Dornan used to run that place. <laughs> I mean, that guy was just to the left of Hitler. He had a... a, a <laughs> and there was a, another cat, too, a Cali one called, uh, named Schmidt. Or yeah, I mean, these guys had, had propositions... Who slept with the sun? Yeah. That weird karma thing. But they, those guys like had legislation in the house that was like, we we, we want to pass this law that says we can take illegal aliens and drive them to Costa Mesa, like from our district. That's where the line is. We'll just take them in a van and then put them there. And this is for real. I'm not making yeah, this stuff up. Yeah, I believe up. it. That's where the Cougars because that's that's the, that was the constituency. Mesa. So yeah. to like punk rock to come out of that is. is like very peculiar. Well, you know, farm would tell you if you want a good crop, use a lot of manure. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Bring it on those. I remember that Schmidt guy had a whole secret family. 
Yeah. You, you had, right. A lot of that stuff is smoke and mirrors, but things kind of changed, kind of calmed. It was weird. Uh, it grew so fast. Maybe not so much towns. Maybe Orange was more of a town. I know Santa Ana really has an old downtown. Yeah, that's that's where I think the Five used to be uh, yeah. Anaheim Boulevard, and it ran through downtown Anaheim and downtown Santa Ana. Those were actual, you know, what do you right. call Anaheim it? Right, Anaheim was a city, town, too. Yeah, yeah. Real, real towns, but the rest of those places... Strip mall invented, with uh, yeah. track home kind of inclusion. Nothing, I mean, I remember as a kid growing yeah. up there, when you saw something made before the 50s, yeah. Like in downtown Orange, we had this thing, the Orange Circle. You just go down there and go, wow, this is like a museum. Because everything else was drywall yeah, and stucco, stucco yeah. and just, I had no flavor. I remember watching movies as a kid, like, where's that? Because that's, I don't see any of that. That's, that's not in, in, in our world. Everything is absolutely brand new. And a lot of vandalism. Yeah, because yeah. people weren't from there. I mean, that's the whole, I don't want to get in the history of the United States, but we're not from here either. That's but right. we're really new there. So there's no sense of, like, uh, history or ancestral homeland or any of that. It's right. just like brand new, uh, plastic, gross, uh, not homogenous. Castle, bouncy castle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's lots, lots of uh, like postmodern, like uh, miniature golf, and that, that that was our reality, just to break out of that. I, I remember me and Dee Boone driving through there, and we wondered what do, what uh, people have to do, uh, young people, is just hang out in malls. Yeah. I know people did that at Delamo and mm. stuff, and it's like, whoa, because in Pedro we didn't really have that. Mm. But in fact, I grew up next to a dairy. I came here when I was 10 mm. from Virginia, I mean, and there was a dairy. I grew up smelling cow shit. Yeah. Just like, but they put up the, con- not so much track homes, but condos came here in the 70s and 80s. Right. And uh, these little narrow streets. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> so we, we, we suffered from some of that, too. Uh but not to make everybody totally down because it is California, <laughs> but still another part of Southern California. But I'm really interested in your musical journey. When did you first get into music? When did you hear uh, stuff? You were a boy, probably. Yeah, I mean, I lived in. I, I actually lived in Manhattan Beach for a couple of years, then Canoga Park, and then we moved to Orange County when I was five. But my first memories. Or like seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I know this is like what Gene Simmons and re- regular rock people say, but I was five years old, 1964, yeah. and that I just went, that's what I want to do. And, wow. I, and I just, you know, I, that that's when AM radio would play like The Seeds, Frank Sinatra, Burt Bacharach, Soul, you know, kind of semi-hard R&B. You got everything in one Yeah, pop. I remember. And to me, Case I mean, that's, was a big absolutely, that's, that's when like, you know, black music finally penetrated into white, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, consciousness and, and avant-garde. Like, Bob Dylan's the first mainstream avant-garde artist I can think of, unless you think of something before that. And that's the stuff that I heard when I was six, seven, eight years old. Oh. And I, I'm 50, be 52 in a couple of months. I still listen to that stuff. It's the, yeah. It's what, like, you know, it's in my blood. I'm so lucky I grew up during that period of time. And yeah, found yeah. That stuff and just, so you're hearing the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to get records or you want to start actually start making? Oh, well, I was buying 45s at okay. Sears, you know, yeah. go down there, you get five for a dollar, I think yeah. it was. My brother and I, he's like, oh, have you heard this group? And he'd always turn me on to the worst shit, like, uh, you know, who's that band that did the, the Unicorn? Uh, I don't know. I just say, oh, he'd always put, you know, t- turn me the wrong way, but... Uh, <laughs> 
But yeah, you know, I, 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 I loved you know Credence and uh, Sly Stone, and oh, you know yeah. bought all those records when they came out, and wasn't really thinking about ever Make playing. It. You, you know, I was like it. I was a you know an athlete. I was fast, so I was good at sports. But you know, as you get into the sports world. I don't know. I don't want to mean to generalize, but something like ninety nine point nine percent of the people that play sports are assholes, and so I don't like. I don't want to hang out with you guys. You know, does anybody like you know like Ronnie Spector? Like, who's he? You know, uh, so um, so yeah. And then just like was a weirdo. I have a high IQ, and was like don't hang out with normal people. And pretty soon, you know, I'm like this is awful. You know, I love music. I love art. I love creative stuff of reading thinking about stuff when will this not be a liability when will this you know work out in my favor and like about end end of high school i start hearing about this thing punk rock i worked at this drug you have not played never played uh but it's like joe bison at the same time about 17 years old this guy he had this beatles uh song book and i go can i borrow that for the weekend and that weekend i learned how to play G, C, and D. You know, oh, some chords on the some, guitar. Some chords on the guitar, and then wow. somebody else said, you know, this is, you know, that's one, four, and five, and, you know, that's every song, and then I could just figure everything out from and there. And the punk thing, you started going to gigs? Yeah, no, my, my brother had seen, like, the Runaways and the Flaming Groovies, oh, and yeah. said they were terrible, and I hated my brother, so, oh, well, I'm going to like that stuff. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, all those bands like the Ramones, the Damned, Sex Pistols, they all did an oldie, and that's where I come from. You know, I come from, like, songwriting, and I wasn't weird. I didn't listen to progressive rock. I hated the 70s, other than, like, the Raspberries and Badfinger. Stuff, like, was totally pop and AM. I was yeah. like, when was that going to come back? Well, probably never. Uh, and then punk rock was the closest thing, because all those bands did... Little like songs. A, yeah, an, an oldie, and, and they were two minutes long. Yeah. And, and then, like, that's also where that was the where the hip intelligentsia was, and I could just sort of feel it. And the first time I went up to uh, Hollywood, to the other mask, I saw these people. I'm like, the this is... Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah, I'm like, you guys can't possibly have day gigs. This is way before <laughs> you see punk rockers at the mall. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. see one punk rocker a month. And the, and cars would crash. You just go, what is that guy doing? Because people had flares. You're the same age I am. You know what this yeah. is like. It's just, you know, I, in I'm Orange County, you get pulled over for being punk rock. And just people shot and fuck you, Devo. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you listen to B-52's <laughs> fag? Like, of course, I was just going to go do that. Um, uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, I, no, uh, but uh, did you see Arena Rock? Did your brother take you to that um, shit in the 70s? No, I, I think the closest thing, I, I saw Queen, because they opened for Mott the Hoople. I, I saw that game. Yeah, so... What was that, that at the at, Civic? Um, I can't even remember. Maybe it was at the Forum or the, the Sports North Arena. North Beach Arena? I thought it was the Santa Monica Civic, maybe. I think I saw the faces. I remember that. They were opening up, yeah. and it was uh, not, not the... Uh, Fandango. It was more, keep yourself alive. They were more rock yeah, and roll. It was the, the, like, the uh, like a killer queen. Uh, yeah, right, right. Opening for a Mott the Hoople was but kind of But it wasn't the opera. What was no, it called? Yeah, it wasn't the Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that. that. So it was so, kind of rock and guitar, yeah. I thought. Mott the Hoople was pretty yeah, it's one of my favorite <laughs> groups. The Pontiac Bows, if you oh, go you see. Oh, you like them? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I like Mott them. The so you saw them, but you didn't go to a lot because no. uh, I had never been to a club till yeah. punk. So yeah, all I too. knew was arena rock. Yeah. But I liked that AM radio thing too, where mm. it was everything mixed up. Right. And the songs were short. Yeah. And FM radio, I remember when it came, 
Yeah, you could hear the sunflower seeds in the deck. Versus like these <laughs> very hippie. Then it got controlled. Brother Matt did some work uh, for them later on. Yeah, he's got a big history in radio. Oh, wow. And uh, he's probably in the decline as a pewter. Yeah, it just took a lot of the fun out of it as it, as it evolved. Didn't get that eclecticness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so market research. Yeah. Everything's like that, you know, it gets co opted by people mm-hmm. who want to get in on something. And then yeah. it's just like punk rock, you know, we'll get to yeah. that part in the story where, wow, punk rock is so cool. And like two or three years later, it had been co opted by all the other Orange County people. <laughs> we're like, I mean, you can go somewhere and fight? Yeah, here's this black pill. Snort that. And then and everybody with long hair punch in the face. Yeah. And everyone with a mustache punch twice. <laughs> And that's exactly when I went, time's up. Yeah, you were the exact people I was trying to get away from. Yeah, uh, and you know, I, a couple summers ago at Warp Tour, I played this stage, the Hot Topic stage, you know? The Hot Topic. Yeah, I thought, yeah, the Hot Topic. We're going to debate some stuff. And they didn't know this is a store at the malls where they sell <sighs> pump clothes. You know, the Hot store in the malls, Hot Topic. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would hang out much in malls. But anyway, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Uh, so, yeah, I saw these bands. Book, yeah, I saw these bands. I saw these bands. So and I'm like, I can, I can, I'm as good as those guys, yeah. you know, and there's no leads. I'm like, that's good. Yeah. And uh, songs, I can follow along. And the bands I saw, I, I, you know, I don't remember one name of any of them. They were all nobodies. It wasn't <laughs> even like F Word or Fear, who I must have seen 20 times. Uh, and then I saw, you know, like uh, better bands like X. And, uh, and they, they had way more in common with where I was coming from, which, you know, I, I hate to admit, I hate saying the word rockabilly or I like rockabilly because people think of the Stray Cats or... This yeah, but of, Billy played for our Roy yeah, Campy, he played, right? Yeah, he, I think he played in Gene Vincent's band. But like the, the Burnett right. Trio, I mean, there's nothing more punk rock than the Burnett Trio. Uh, and real guitar players, guys that, you know, just can really uh, work the instrument. Uh, I, I, I loved them. Uh, I know I, people got pissed at him for smiling. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't like the way he smiled and did that shit. And I thought it was kind of cool. Like fuck you, look like. And they were really a tight man. And what's his name? DJ Bonebreak was just such a great drummer. Yeah, he's wild. I first saw him in a band called uh, The Eyes. uh, Yeah. Yeah. This one never gets smarter. (laughs) The Eyes and Charlotte was on the bass. Right. I got to do a gig with him a couple years ago. Improv with Mm. a violin player named Chris Murphy Uh up in Sierra Madre. No songs, just get up there. Go for it. He's got that big band kind of trip. He does mean marimbas, too. Yeah. He's got a band where he had to think with the notes, you know. Okay, so you're seeing these guys, and uh, you're you're starting to hanker more for, like, right, right. Yeah, like, I don't want to be in Sean on Awe. It's really weird, too, because at the exact same time, I don't know if you remember this, like, there was Madame Wong's. Yeah. And and the uh, whatever, the other place across the street. Hong Kong Cafe. Hong Kong Cafe. And yeah. you couldn't go to both of them. Mm-hmm. You had to pick a side. And even though I probably had more in common with the people who liked Dwight Twilley than the people that were going to see I the saw Screamers. Dwight Twilley open for the jam. <laughs> I, I'm like, I can't hang yeah. out with you people. You're lame. You're wearing yeah. really ugly clothes and you look yeah. like you're from last decade. <laughs> the new wave. And, and these people are more on my wavelength, so I just sort of went with that crowd. Yeah. But but my, my group of people, the, the bands I went to go see were like the Blasters, because ah. they were doing a more authentic version of, you know, they weren't Sean on they weren't the Stray Cats, they were authentic. They, they were doing all this music that I loved, 
And, and meeting, starting to meet people are like, look, you have seven records. I have 7,000. Come over to my house and I'll play you all this weird, cool stuff. Uh, oh, wow. And then, uh, you know, th- through that... Uh, I, that I, community. Yeah, I, I wanted to join the Cramps, that the, the, the guitar player in that band. That cat, that singer, Lux, big uh, knowledge of Yeah, yeah, the, they music. really... They, this they, guy they, was deep. Yeah. And, and Brian Gregory had, had quit or kicked, was kicked out, and uh, they picked uh, this guy, Brian Tristan, from a band called Gun Club and renamed him Kid Congo. Yeah. And I didn't know that. And I, I saw the cramps at, a, at the whiskey, and I'm like, oh, pick me. And they said, oh, you know, send us your, your, your phone, your, your picture and whatever. And they didn't pick me. I took my, my two-week vacation there and just sat by the phone like, <laughs> nope, it's not them. But uh, up to this point, you ain't been in a band. No. See, the ball's out. Yeah. Huh? And uh, so that that didn't happen. I was really, you know, deflated and whatever. And I went to see Billy Zoom do his Rockabilly show. Just Billy Zoom, DJ Bonebreak, and two of his Rockabilly pals. Yeah. And I remember I was at the show, and I was sitting in this room at this bowling alley in Culver City. It's this huge uh, affair. And uh, I was in a room with Jeffrey... Lee Pierce, who I didn't know at that point, Chuck Dukowski, and somebody else. And Jeffrey was just undressing uh, Bukowski, or Dukowski, whatever his name is, Chuck, about music. Because Chuck was trying to talk to him about soul music, and he was like, oh yeah, the Supreme. She's like, that's not soul music. And just, Jeffrey knew like a thousand times more than this other guy, but the one guy was famous, and the other guy was just some fat Did you know Slash Magazine? Because he used to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ranking Jeffrey. Jeffrey. And, and so, he, he, could, he showed off what he knew. So he I, I knew him. that guy, uh, yeah. and, and I'd seen Gun well, Club. Well, buddies with Kid Congo. Yeah, and I'd seen, I'd seen Gun Club, and I'm like, that wasn't bad. I was surprised that that little guy could do anything. And then uh, I just said, hey, do you, do you still need a guitar player in your band? I didn't say, I want to join your band. I just said, do you need a guitar player? Do you yeah. still need one? He said, yeah, I got my number. I was in the band the next day, and we were playing like a month later. I was just all of a sudden, now I'm in this thing. You know, the first thing I heard, I remember they, they played a Fleetwood mm-hmm. Were you at that Fleetwood? No. Yeah, that was the other cat. Yeah. What was his name? Terry uh, Graham? His name. Uh, no, he was a... Ritter was on the bass and Terry uh, was a drummy. Uh-huh. They had another kid guitar. Kid Cargo. Man. Yeah, Kid. Yeah. No, before Kid. Hmm, I don't know. They didn't have a guy before him? No, I don't think so. I think it was Jeffrey and Kid's Okay, band then, start. then maybe it was Kid then. Might have been a... a I've seen him a lot with Kid, but yeah. I just remember this early gig at the Fleetwood. Yeah. Playing in front of hardcore dudes. Yeah. Well, so my first few shows with... We played with the adolescents, and those people were like, if you don't get off the stage right now, you're going to be dead. I mean, and, and Jeffrey would just egg him on, because he was just like, I don't care about punk rock. I'm so far past this. You don't remember playing the Fleetwood? Mm, I, sure I never... I, I never played the Fleetwood. I went to the Fleetwood a few times and just watched people fight Five, and then man. left. <laughs> the fleet don't. That's what yeah. we call it. It just looked like it was always on fire. There was always yeah. a fire and somebody just being, their face being smashed in. Actually, uh, for us, it was kind of cool because it was closer yeah, to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to think about OC guys having to go to Hollywood. That was a hell of yeah. a But, okay, the first thing I heard recorded, mm. John Jones... The urinal bass man mm-hmm. had a label called Happy Squid. And right. There's a thing on there called Devil in the Woods. Yeah. That's a, I think a, it's called Keats Rides a Harley. It's yeah. A, it's a it's compilation, compilation that uh, that guy Vetus, whatever his last name yeah. is, uh, just showed up to rehearsal and put up some microphones and put it on a four track and said, go, do another one, do another one, do another one. Okay, that's it. Is that like, your first recording? Yeah. 
But I mean, it was a, it was less it informal right. than this. Right okay.
from Pedro show you just heard uh, live at the Love Grotto here on the Pleasure Point yeah Mr. Ward Dotson with uh, Be Merry very cool which is a tune he used to sing with Pontiac Brothers is what we heard before that doing Big Black River and we started with Devil in the Woods Gun Club which uh, we have been enlightened <laughs> to the fact it was your first recording and it was yeah. just uh, Vita setting up some uh-huh. mics at the prac pad yeah, it was just like, this guy's going to come in and put some microphones up. I mean, at that point, Gun Club, the first Gun Club album is, I mean, I, I don't like the Gun Club, so I can talk about it freely. It's saying it's good or bad, because I don't give two fucks. Um, <laughs> but it now, it's like, you know, like, that's the White Stripes' favorite band, and all these people come up to me, Bono, or, well, he doesn't come up to me, but I met him <laughs> once, and he just wanted to talk to me about that shit for an hour. A lot of people like Gun Club. Everybody loves the Gun Club, and to me, I'm like, really, what, what was your job in 1981? That's about as important as it was to me. <laughs> but to a lot of people, it was a big deal, and I just think back, I'm like, how could it be a big deal? I was involved in it. You know, Because maybe like, you were so close. Yeah. And it was, so, it was kind of an unpleasant experience. Like the, the, you were in a band, like with your best pal, yeah. and you were going through this great journey together. And, yeah. and, and I was going, I was in a band with my least best pal, a guy who I, you know, <laughs> thought about hitting with a golf club. Over we the did face. fight, so yeah, we used to pull over on the freeway and like roll around <laughs> for a while and get back in when we got tired. <laughs> One time we had army clothes and we were fighting in. Uh, 
it, t- it happened to be called Hollywood. It's in Florida. Oh, yeah, right, right. And it was from the bank, so the bank people called the pigs, and they came there. And, <laughs> you know, and I had a beard and army clothes. Hey, right. you know, where's Che? You know, D. Boone yeah, comes no. out of this health food store with the spirulina. Hey, I found it. <laughs> and and uh, he goes to me, where are you from, Hollywood? And I didn't realize yeah. it. Because yeah. that's something you would say here, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> In Hollywood, Florida. So, yeah, so I think those other cats, the, their gun club experience is listeners. Mm-hmm. And you were a doer. Yeah. And sometimes the doing is like way away from listening. You didn't Absolutely. have to go through your hell. Yeah, so. <laughs> but you know what? That stuff stands up. I was listening. Matt over here told me. Oh, yeah, Matt and Coco and. Uh, Sai. We have other guests. Yeah. <laughs> Very rude of me. But he told me you were coming aboard, so I went and listened to it again. And yeah. that stuff is not just of 81. It's, yeah. It holds up. Well, and as your much guitar as I, playing is oh, really happening. You. Well, as much as I hated uh, Jeff Pierce, he's a great songwriter. He has no like innate musical ability. He just, through guile and will, was a musician. I mean, he had no rhythm. Yeah. He sang in the key of whatever, <laughs> Jeff. Call. Yeah, it's just like... Any note, that's it. That's the one I'm going for. Uh, I remember being in the studio with Chris Stein, who was, you know, in Blondie and with new music. He was like, Jeff, you got to get up to that note. Like, just pushing him, like, it doesn't work. He just is his own entity. But he was a great lyricist. He was well-read. He was a weirdo in his own trip. And those people are sometimes socially retarded. You can't hang out with them on a day-to-day basis. They'll just eat food off of your plate or say what's on their mind, even though it's the rudest most untoward thing you could think of to say just would blurt stuff out like I'm not I've been in a fight since I was four but I'm about to punch you in the throat dude um so Torn must have been real fun he was a a very smart guy and he wrote great lyrics that were way way past the bullshit that was happening in Orange County in LA at the time and that's just like you know I'm, I'm a guy who hated him well Watt Dirk told me that Jeffrey Lee dissed you one time Oh, like everyone. I don't, I don't recall the story exactly, but he, he was nice to me in person. Though. Yeah. But he said one time he just laid into him, like our friend who owns a guitar shop down here. Mm-hmm. Said, and then, uh, well, we could talk to Dirk about it later. <laughs> Personally, he was talking to me back. No, like yeah, like Jeffrey just laid into you at a at a show or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Because uh, Dirk said he remembers that story. Yeah, maybe I was too. <laughs> but I remember talking to him a bunch, especially later yeah. when he was not in good right, health, yeah, and yeah. he was still nice. But he was tripping out. He was rapping Japanese. We all have our moments, right? Yeah, the, this was in his uh, way to death. Yeah, it was a bad time. Decline. But he was very nice to me. But maybe he did go off on me at a, at a thing. Most of the people at the gigs were pretty kind, though. But you, you, you mentioned something earlier like about community. Yeah. And it really was this like closed-off thing. You were either in it or you were out. There was like, and we're, we're only accepting a few new members every month. It wasn't, it was, and then it, then it grew super fast at one point. But yeah. there was a, a while there, that's why I, I really loved it and, and why I ultimately hated this scene was you could go see a band like the Minutemen playing with Wall of Voodoo and then a hardcore band or the Go-Go's or whatever. We'd all be on the same bill. And I'm not exaggerating that. It was truly a four-band bill where you'd get, you know, this disparate uh, musical taste 
And even though one of those things might not be my, I mean, I must have seen the Minutemen 10 times and I don't never bought your guys record. And you, you come from a different place than I do, but I always loved watching your band, you know, or, or stuff like Beefheart or, or shit that doesn't ever come across in my music. I, I love that stuff because it was weird. And you guys coming from some other place. I love that. As soon as it got homogenized and you have to wear this handkerchief around your engineer oh, yeah, yeah. boot and do this. I'm like, well, this is the antithesis of, of what I was you know, looking for. But When uh, you guys would work out the songs in Gun Club, you're writing your first music? Uh, I had some ideas that are, are on those records that are came from me, yeah. yeah. You know, they came from my influences and what I could do on the guitar, which was pretty rudimentary and caveman. Like, I started playing guitar when I was 17 or 18, and yeah. I was in that band at 20. So sure, how much... Right how, I'm just, just banging, able to bang stuff out. Um, but yeah, def- definitely, you know, my, my Im- imprint is on that, along with Terry and Rob. It wasn't yeah. just Jeffrey. He had a crack band. Yeah. I was just t- talking with my middle class buddies, and they were, you know, Mike Adda was saying, telling somebody who was sitting in and listening to the conversation, he said, Oh, you didn't see Gun Club. Jeffrey had a crack band. You know, it's just like X. Those, like, yeah. Once you get a really solid rhythm section, almost everything sounds good. Yeah. You know? Okay, you guys went in and did an album. Uh, after this stuff with Vetus, you did like yeah. a real album. And, and this time we're still getting it's booed off. Shot of uh, well, love. we're getting we're getting we're getting booed off the stage yeah, pretty right. much everywhere. We don't fit in with hardcore. The, even X's crowd is like, I don't yeah. like that guy. Yeah. Uh, and then we made a, a demo, and Jeffrey had the connections with Slash Magazine, right. and which was also Slash Records now. And he went in there and played the tape, and they're like, well, "Who's this? This is Gun Club." Well, you should sign this man. You need to, you know. So he put, uh, Bob Biggs said, I'll give you a little bit more money. You can finish this. And we'll put it out on Ruby. And yeah. it came out and just got five-star reviews. It was yeah, reviewed yeah. in New York Times, mm-hmm. in, in places that, you know, punk rock never got reviewed. Right. And we just went from fourth band on the bill to a headliner. Just like that, you know. And uh, pretty weird. And we're big in, in Europe, and all people in other bands love it. You see, you start to tour. Yeah, and then we got in a van and started playing all over the place. Right. And, and got our first taste of that. It was pretty wild. And we saw Jeffrey's head grow, like in the Grinch, you know, when his heart grows from this big. We saw his head just go, whoosh, and then he was just untenable. I mean, he was not the most pleasant guy to be around up to that point, but once he got famous, it was just like, forget it. And he, and he wanted to be a drug addict. I've never met anybody who, like, romance being a drug addict so bad. That is so easily arranged for anyone. If you, if anyone, uh, listeners need to get my phone number, you know, I will, I'll explain to you exactly how you can become a drug addict or an alcoholic. It's, it's very easily arranged. Yeah, and it's um, really conducive to working relationships yeah. with members. And we already had a guy in the band who was doing that on his own free time, uh, and he didn't make it either, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so, um... Yeah, and then after like a couple of uh, albums and a bunch of shows and going to Europe, I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. It's just, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to do my own thing, and it was really Jeff's band. So uh, we just parted ways in about 82, I think. And then I had hepatitis B. I just was really sick, and I had been ripped off by him. You know, I'm like, wow, what a terrible... I should have gotten into boxing or anything. I mean, any other, you know... Racket. <laughs> would have been better than this pile of horse crap. So... uh uh, I sort of took a year off, and then... Uh, but playing in a band like that, your first band, yeah. 
and uh, using your guitar. There was some mm-hmm. development, huh? Oh, yeah. Even these, these hell things. But there yeah, I mean, hanging out with Jeff, like, he, he was the guy that had 7,000 albums and, and yeah. 45s and hit 78s. He's like, listen to this weirdo thing that nobody else has. Can you play like that? This is like new influences, like slide stuff. And of course, yeah, like yeah. I'm just an Orange County guy. I'm 2021, 20, like caveman style guitar. Yeah, so the but, slide thing yeah, so just I, came I, on from listening to records. Yeah, huh? I mean, to me, slide guitar was like, you know, Pete Ham and Badfinger. Not, not uh, you know, Blind Lemon, whoever. Yeah. But he was playing this stuff all the time. And I'm like, well, I have to, this is my job. I'll just do it. I, I, I you know, developed an appreciation for it. But uh, at the time, it was just... from here, huh? Yeah. From listening. Mm-hmm. You didn't have some dude showing. No, okay. I had Jeffrey showing me, who's a terrible musician, who you know just couldn't do this stuff. I'm like, no, I, I can do it. You know, I'm just you know, he'd make me tapes. Yeah. He had this Walkman that had a microphone on it, and he would just put that in front of the speaker, <laughs> play like 45 seconds of something. I still have these tapes; they're awesome. <laughs> okay, now, okay, here's another one. You know, now go home and listen to all this stuff, and then come back and then put that into this one song. So wow. that stuff was really great. You know, I got to go f- like from kindergarten rock fan to like graduate because he was buddies with Fast Freddy and all these other dudes that yeah, had yeah. thousands of records who would trade in all of their power pop records and buy Duke Ellington records because that's what they were all into that month. So, <laughs> you know, it was uh, that was that part of it was great. Uh, he turned me on to all these songwriters and, and knew who wrote every song. I mean, this wasn't just some guy with a leather jacket and dyed blonde hair. This guy really knew his shit, yeah. top to bottom. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, that part of being in Glen Club, I'm really happy for. That, that's the good Jeffrey. I remember like, you know, lying in bed, you know, sharing a, a hotel room, and just talking to like four in the morning about songwriters and guitar players and stuff. And he wasn't such an asshole. Because he couldn't be. We were just like trying to go to sleep. Oh yeah, have you ever heard this record? Oh, you should, <laughs> Ward, you gotta get this country record by so-and-so. And all that stuff was was really great. So, but yeah, the personalities just uh, didn't work out, and uh, I wanted to do my own thing, and so I, I left that in like '83, I think, uh, and yeah. then took like a year off. I saw him with Duckworth. Yeah, Jim Duckworth was a Jim great Memphis dude guy, right? and a great guitar player. Uh huh. And but he didn't last long. Yeah, either. no, they all all because I saw that kid again. And yeah, kid did a bunch of records with uh-huh. him. Maybe because they went back far away. But. Yeah, kid. Kid said had the special, you know, sensibility to, to to deal with him, whereas no one else. I mean, it must have been twenty people in and out of that band in about a ten year span. Here's a little thing about kid. Uh, Scotty got sick with the Stooges, so mm. he, he, we had to get this guy named Larry Mullins, a guy from Knoxville. Right. He lives in Berlin now. And he's working with Kid. Hmm. <laughs> it's moment. Wow. And Kid's got his pink monkey birds, and but you know Larry's got things where uh, like uh, somebody comes in, they want to make a record, so brought Kid in to do the music and stuff like this. Larry's a drummer man. He, I did a show with him two weeks ago. And his story of music's trip, he put his drum set in his back station wagon, followed Iggy around. Hmm. Yeah, to the gigs. Wow. Until the roadie guy said, if you come again, I'm going to kill you. It <sighs> ended up in the band. Wow. Playing for him for nine years. Wow, that's Incredible awesome. Journey. But he's working with the kid right hmm. now. This moment. So, yeah, so you hung that up. 
And did it leave a bad taste about music, or did you know it was just this pers- the business yeah. and the personalities? And so the you drugs. wanted to get back in with yeah. Playing. I just want to play. Yeah. I just want to have fun. And also at that point, I'd like had some success. Yeah. And and could look at it and, and <clears throat> you know listeners out here have never taken drugs or acid, you should do that because it will you know especially acid. It just made me look at pop music and the whole rock star thing is just wow what a stupid job this is. <laughs> and I stopped like dressing punk rock. I started dressing like just a normal guy. And I, I noticed other bands. I, I started liking other bands that dressed normal that didn't rock star it up. And that's what I kind of wanted to do. I just wanted to go back to me roots, you know. I just wanted to be a normal guy again. Yeah. I'd been through punk rock. I'd been, I had some success. I just saw how ridiculous it was and how people kissed your ass one second and then didn't even talk to you the next second because you weren't cool anymore. Oh, yeah. And so I just, you know, I went to, you know, I, I, I'd spent a lot of time taking drugs with this guy, Matt Simon, who was in middle class, and I lived with him. And we were listening to The Stones a lot. Like these these Stones records are kind of forgotten, like um, Aftermath and Twelve by Five, Between the Buttons, and we just got really into all the album tracks, not the hits, but stuff I was not totally saturated on. I said, let's form this fake band called the Gall Stones, and we'll be a Stones cover band, but we'll just it's kind of a piss take. We'll just be making fun of them. And so we did this one time, and everyone said, God, that was hilarious. And you guys, that's a good band. And then uh, we did it again, and then I saw the replacements play. Some fr- a girl I was dating at the time said, uh, "Replacements are my favorite band." I'm like, that's a terrible name for a band. <laughs> I, I, I heard their record. I worked at a record store, and they had this record called Hoot Nanny. And the first song is called Hoot Nanny, and they all switch instruments, and it just sounds like some trash cans being pushed down the street with a guy going Hoot Nanny. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is like. Worse than the shags, but not funny. It's just awful. I took uh, took it off. I'm like, that's band's horrible. So I went to go see them, and it was like, Mata Hoople. It was fucking ripped my head off. I'm like, this band is popular, and it was jam packed. I look around. There's John Doe, there's Bob Forrest, a bunch of other people in up and coming bands. I'm like, really? This this can be popular? And I was totally inspired by that one show. Seeing them, I'm like, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. Told the Gallstones, I go, let's change our name. I've got a few songs. Let's be a band. And we, we got our first three or four shows opening for the replacements in San Francisco and down here through being, me being in Gun Club. I just, you know, pulled every string. The, the replacements, yes. that's As they were exploding. Okay. Like, as they were going from a nothing band to everybody's favorite band. This is 84, I think. Oh, yeah. We played a gig with them then. Yeah. It and, was on Halloween at CalArts and. Uh, was there yeah, some nakedness? Outfits. Oh, you wore outfits. <laughs> it's Halloween. I always is my favorite holiday. Yeah. It's the only time all year we pretend, well, we don't pretend we're wearing costumes. So I was a clown. And Dee Boone was an artist. Dee Boone had all these layers of green on it. He goes, what am I? <laughs> I don't know. No, no, no. Look, as I looked at him, well, <laughs> artichoke! Because <laughs> you know, he had all these layers mm. of green. I guess it was kind of like an artichoke. Georgie had like a white sack, plastic sack on. And that singer guy got really pissed at us. Paul Westerberg. Yeah, he was like, uh, you know, I don't know, like we were sissies or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Didn't you the drummer guy was cool. to be the fifth Matt? 
once? Or? Uh, well, I obviously was never in the replacement, so that didn't work out. But yeah, we were I you... associated. Yeah. There's, you know, again, like the listeners out there, they're thinking about taking drugs. Cocaine, now that's a bad drug. <laughs> Acid, marijuana, I mean, for a little bit of time, so you like expand your mind, but don't, don't do too much, kids. And then cocaine is just an absolute utter waste of money. I did a lot of experimenting to try and find the, you know, the one, uh, whatever, loophole. Uh, and that's that. It did a lot of cocaine with uh, that band, the replacements. Um, I can't remember any of the stories because they're... This, the whole time in the Pontiac Brothers almost is completely oh, yeah, blotted out. Oh, yeah, how did you get the name? Uh, somebody, had a, somebody had a, a poster that said, Free the Pontiac Brothers, and it was this black militant group that were from... Like Pontiac, Compton, Michigan. I think they were from Compton, and they got jailed in oh. Pontiac or something like that. It was something to do with that. I'm like, that's kind of a cool name. We had all these other names like Yoko Eno and Pontiac's where some uh, other. Elvin Jones is from. Oh, really? The Coltrane's drummer. Oh. Yeah, it's like a town outside. Yeah, yeah, it's out Detroit. Detroit, right? Yeah, and it kind of had a Detroit. I mean, everyone loves the Stooges and. Detroit Wheels and all the other great music from there. So, yeah. like, yeah, okay, this sort of sounds good. And uh, got to make a record. We made a demo, and this, some French label said, you, we'll, we'll, you know, Gun Club was huge in France. They're like, you know, anything a Gun Club guy does, we'll put out. And then Frontier Records, yeah. who was switching from, from, from punk rock to, like, other new stuff, like the 3 O'Clock was on that label, yeah. uh, the Long Riders, not my favorite bands or anything, but... Thin White Rope, and Thin she, White Rope, yeah. yeah, she she said, well, "I'll put your records out," and uh, you know, God bless Lisa Fancher because yeah. she, she let us get to make records, and I got to make records with my best pals. You know, we weren't the best band in the world, but those were my first songs, and you know, that's why I'm doing this show. I'm fond of these guys; they're my brothers. I don't, I, I have a family, but I'm not close to any of them. I, I became close with like Matt Simon and, and these other guys, Mike Atta and Kurt and Dave in, in, in the Pontiac Brothers. And we, we toured and cracked jokes and tried to write songs and did our best. You know, the Del Fuegos liked us and the Replacements liked us, uh, whoever, some other people liked us. But we just never had the hit. And we weren't punk rock, so, you know, like if you were punk rock, you can now play. The adolescents are out there playing in front of, you know, 1,700 people in Argentina right now. Yeah. Because they were punk rock, we weren't, so we don't have any cachet in that regard. So, but we got to make these records, and uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. We're at the end of the first hour. Okay. Uh, July nineteenth, two thousand eleven. Watch the show. Hold tight for hour two. July nineteenth, two thousand eleven, the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
Watch from Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with some Devin Hoff. Devin Hoff was righteous to play at the Dosa record release party last week cool. here in Pedro. Making Hell Ride from Chicago. He's a Southern California guy now. He wants to do something with me called the Emma Goldman Bust Out Brigade. So he whooped it up. He played awesome. stand up. He did Arco, like he said. Cool. And he did Pizzicato yeah, with the awesome. things. Yeah, he is. And he's beautiful spirit and Kay did good she brought both her dogs people are very kind to us and uh Dosi Dos is out I gave nice. you one yeah right? yeah yeah okay. cool then we played uh oh another stand up thing this guy god I got to meet this cat somehow but his name's Bertram Turetsky he lives I think Ocean Beach or something down by San Diego uh, this thing they call, uh, it's a stand-up bass too, but uh, extended technique where you play on the other side of the bridge and shit. Oh. Composers have uh, made pieces just for him. And he played uh, Lou Harrison. And I don't know, I, I just thought of him. He's a virtuoso, avant-garde kind of stand-up dude. and Maybe Evan, uh, Devin Hoff, kind of that way. I don't know, I, don't know, I was just thinking. Then we heard uh, something uh, from Boris, last Paul Custom 86. And then... Uh, Preaching Blues by Gun Club. Is this at that same practice? No. This is uh, probably with uh, Tito LaRiva from The Plugs. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. They were going to sign the Gun Club to Fatima Records, which I think put out The Brat. They just put out... It was actually kind of a novel idea. One side of an LP would have music, and the other side would be blank. Like an EP. Instead of selling it in that ridiculous 10-inch format that no one bought... Because um, it didn't go with the rest of your records, you had to have a special pile for those things. So you're like, I don't want to buy this because it doesn't fit. Uh, so he came up with that idea, and in the middle of that being made, that's when Slash said, "No, no, no, we'll take him. Oh. We'll take Gun Club." Okay, okay. Because preaching blues, I think it's a, it sounds to me like a Robert Johnson. Yeah, it's Robert Johnson. It is a cover, but it's very different than Robert Johnson's version. But but yeah, I don't know why I was thinking of it. Yeah, maybe some of the words. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's 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 Robert. It's definitely a Robert okay. Johnson song all the way. But if you listen to Robert Johnson, you can't play drums to Robert Johnson. That's no, what's so no. beautiful about Robert Johnson. It's so weird and like arrhythmic. Really trippy. Yeah. Same Lead Belly thing. too. Yeah. I mean, these are blues players, but they have their own idea of the blues. Drop and... notes and drop drop beats and yeah, just yeah. song come back in whenever and stop whenever. Because when uh, Animals did House of the Rising Sun, yeah. they did it so much different. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah, his uh-huh. is like. He's almost laughing well, I when think he's singing the it. A- animals yeah, version. You know, it's nothing like the. I slow think that the animals version is the version that, that Dylan did. They were imitating Dylan. Ah. And don't look back. You can see what's his name, Al, uh, the keyboard player. Al Cooper. Uh, no, he's the. He has the keyboard, a lot of stories. Key, about keyboard, Dylan. But he's the keyboard player in the animals. Chaz. Uh, Chandler. Not Chaz Chandler. He, he's actually credited with the arrangement of the Animals version of House of the Rising Sun. He's just he's with Dylan the whole time because he loves Bob Dylan. He's got the glasses on. Well, he he breaks off that. Throws the beer out the well, window. he's Dylan in some of those pissed. scenes. Yeah. Dylan um, gets really pissed at me. What's that idea. guy's name? Yeah, I can't think of his name. Alan something. Al Cooper's on the uh, later ones. Yeah, he's on. He's on. Yeah, he's like on the electric cop. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Highway 61. But yeah, I, I, I know that guy was a huge Dylan fan. That's where they got their version. I don't think it's the Lead Belly version. The lead belly, he played like a 12-string, yeah. and it's his bouncy-ass, yeah. you know, Good Night Irene, that... Right. Yeah. But, you, that still, version's totally different than the Weaver's version. Oh, yeah. 
but it's it's blues. Yeah. See, I think what happened was blues got uh, homogenized like anything yeah. else, like the punk scene. Or that's anything. that's just something I learned from Jeffrey, who's like you know. To me, I think of the blues, like, you know, that's great, a great riff, but after 45 seconds, can we go to another chord, please? And he's like, well, listen to this other stuff. It's pre-electric blues. It's, it's, yeah. it's country blues. Yeah. I'm like, like, country music? No, it's just called country blues. Yeah. And there's these guys, you know, Blind Lemon Jefferson, uh, uh, you know, Chuck, uh, um, Skip James, uh, Skip Bucko James. White, uh, Bucko. Robert Johnson, Tommy Johnson. And uh, I'm like, God, this stuff is so, it's, it's foreign because it doesn't have a beat. Yeah. It's its own weirdo thing. Because like, one-man bands. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, each different section had their own thing. Like Levy Camp workers had their style, Tobacco right, Road, right. Cotton yeah. Beer style, everything. And then when they moved to different parts, too. Yeah, then they kind of intermingled. The classic, that, that's yeah. when it got to Chicago. Chicago. That's way yeah. at the end of the line. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Brother Matt had a, a blue show on kick, so you call uh-huh. it Blue Shift. So he's... He got to go to guys. Uh, Willie Dixon's house. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of those old guys. Yeah. Willie Dixon, the bass player, you know, and, the, and a band, I think it changed when they started making ensembles. Yeah. But that old stuff, it's really, it's trippy. It's weird. It, 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 I just discovered watching a baseball game, there's a commercial for Porsche that's got a, a dude from, uh, like, East uh, Memphis... Uh, shoot, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head, but it's it's that same one chord, just kind of singing in your own thing, and it's just beautiful. It's way more cool, and, and uh, like like that guy, what's his name? Robert, uh, he's a writer who who went down there and lived. It's the same name as that guy that did, you know, Addicted to Love. What's that guy's name? Robert Palmer, oh, this writer, yeah. went down there and hung out and discovered all these guys. I'll remember his name as soon as I leave here, but... um. Yeah, I, I I much prefer that. Yeah, before it gets to Chicago, like the BB King, Muddy Waters, that stuff's okay too. I just yeah. heard it to death. It's like Las Vegas blues. The other stuff is so much more authentic, and it's really the sound of the expression of somebody's soul. You don't don't even have to listen to the meaning of the lyric. You just hear yeah. a guy singing. Like uh, my my girlfriend Sai just moved here from the Philippines, and I'm. Yeah. T- Tutorialing her on all these different genres of music. We were listening to a bunch of black stuff, and she said, "You know, why do the blacks sing better?" And this is from a totally innocent ears hearing this stuff. I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." Like that—that's what me and all the other white dudes were, were were trying to do. We heard this, and like, you guys don't know what you're doing. It's just coming out naturally, and we're trying to process it a different way, and 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 also do that thing because that's that's the shit. Per- you know, there's a book that. Nick Tosh's wrote called The Twisted Roots of Country Music. Mm. Oh, yeah? There's minstrel shit in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, where they would dress up and, right. and act yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. And this is the roots. It wasn't yeah. just guys on horses right. and big hats. <laughs> no, there's some uh, tangled up things. But, of course, it inter- you know, when the market forces are involved, they always want kind of images mm-hmm. that are simple and not too deep. Yeah, Absolutely. So that pollutes a lot of. Uh, yeah, of we're working. You, you bring that's a really interesting point. You're working in this medium yeah. where the market forces, and I always forget that part until it gets <laughs> sour. I'm like, oh shit, that's right. Other people are listening and watching to this. It's not just me in my living room <laughs> with my buddies. Other people are going to get involved in this and change it, and it's going to get moved right. around and homogenized, co-opted, etc. Right through the sausage grinder. Yeah. 
Uh, Pontiac Brothers, back. Yeah. So you, you did some records. Mm-hmm. Uh, five or six of them here. Yeah. And you toured around and stuff? Yeah, we did like four tours of the States, went up to San Francisco a bunch of times, opened for all the bands of that day, of the late 80s. Yeah. Trying to think of, you know, of course, the replacements. Who else did we play with? Um, God, it was the Flaming Lips we must have played with three or four times. And they were always yeah. on the bottom of the... I'm like, these guys, why don't they just quit? They're, you're never going to make it. <laughs> Who'd have thunk, you know? Who'd have uh, thunk, yeah. Um, I, don't know if, I don't think well, we ever played... Band, yeah, too. I don't and think... They never ever, moved. Yeah. Shows to go, yeah. Uh, they're, they're bitching. But... Oh, Obviously, the dynamic was different. These are your buddies. Yeah, this yeah. wasn't a band that was outside that you... Uh, yeah, and we were part. almost purposefully not punk rock because we'd all done that and we'd, yeah. and we'd seen how gross and idiotic it had become. Like, let's just do... We did, like, Boston covers occasionally just to piss people off. What's the most offensive thing we can do at this show? Let's learn... Like a BT, a Bachman Turner Overdrive song, and a and a Bay City Rollers cover, just to shove it in their face. And we did a great. That's kind of punk. Yeah, it was punk. It's we we did punk. we did uh, we did a medley of that song "Walk Like a Man" by Grand yeah. Funk and the Four Seasons. Oh yeah, a version of back to back, just to just to Frankie you know, Valley. totally piss people off. And you hear this, play a song you know. Um, which was also the spirit of the replacements, you know. We got oh yeah, they did those covers. We we got compared to them. It was like the the Pontiac Brothers you are guys the replacements. Play drum? No, they played drums. Oh. I can't really remember. There's so much alcohol imbibed in that band. I mean, every rehearsal was like a twelve pack or a case of beer, and every show was, you know, just until there, there were shows that just stopped because it was just too drunk. Like you guys should stop playing. This is too awful. It's, not, it's gone way past being charming and funny. Uh, in fact, we had some like big moments as far as like career moments, not musical moments, but you know, always trying to figure out a way to not have a job. Like we, we played in Athens, Georgia, and we see this guy. He's got all these records under his arm. During the day, we're there way, super early because Atlanta is only an hour away. So we're right. at, we have to check out at noon. We're in Athens walking around. And this guy's like, hey, you guys are the Pontiac Brothers. My name's Peter. I'll be at the show tonight. And if you want to get some pizza, blah, blah, blah. He's just talking like he's just done three lines. And we're like, okay. I'm like, God, who is that guy? Then we're at the show, and he's there. And these people are going, Peter, can I have your autograph? I'm like, are you famous or something? He's like, I'm the guitar player in R.E.M. Oh. Peter Buck. And um, uh, the singer decides that that's the night he's going to just break the record for the drunkest human being ever. And, like, you know, we have to carry oh, him. Carry him. Well, no, I didn't even know. I think he just, like, broke the, oh. t- the top of the, the, the b- bottle he was drinking, and I better just drink all of this. And, uh, like, people were pulling his pants off on stage. And then, like, the... 40 watt? Yeah, the 40 watt and the bass player, Mike Mills from R.E.M., yeah. This is the R.E.M.'s not my favorite band or anything, but this would be a nice thing to happen to us. Maybe they'll like us and we'll get to tour with them or they'll say something good about us. And it was just the shittiest, drunkenest, god-awful thing ever. And, of course, every time I run into them, they remind me of that, of that show, <laughs> uh, how, like, God, I, that's, you guys like, really didn't care. I'm like, no, it just was, you know, bad decisions. Uh, <laughs> And the list is goes on like that, you know, of of missed opportunities in that band, just you know, from from drinking too much. But whatever, I mean, so the, that's the way it goes. 
the band uh, uh, ceased to exist after a while. Yeah, I mean, it's just after four or five years of that, like not really getting anywhere. Like we're seeing the replacements go up, 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 and selling yeah. two, three hundred thousand a record, and we're just like at the, you know, the same level. Press up five grand and and sell those to the, you know, to this guy and and, <laughs> and the rest of you know his brethren, whatever. Uh, and not really making it, and just making like five hundred bucks a show, and like you know, uh, let's just call it a day. And I went and did other stuff. Um, but I uh, remained friends with everybody. And I moved to New York, lived there for a while, had another band called the Liquor Giants, really got serious about, like, songwriting and whatever. Uh, and then, you know... At, was it the same kind of band? As no, it's like, no, it was, it was so a lot of drinking was... <laughs> and, and drugs, but it was with a new group of people. And okay. it was, but, but it was mostly, like, my solo thing. And that, that was... Oh. That was like way more like Alex Chilton, mm-hmm. uh, replacement still, uh, the move, like more power pop and songwriting. I just always Roy wanted Wood. to do that, like Roy, Roy Wood. Wood, yeah, you know, he just like you know, with bridges and you know uh, augmented chords, and it's like I was growing musically. That sounds so lame talking about this stuff, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to do that stuff, and I just was I'd outgrown, well, you've never been there. yeah, outgrown uh, one two fuck you punk rock stuff or the Pontiac Brothers stuff, which were like four and five chord major chords, nothing ever weird or complicated. And uh, yeah, I did that for another you know four or five albums, and then at about age forty, I went, that's enough. I've written enough songs. I've done everything I wanted to do. I'm not famous. I bought a house through a publishing deal, so I did okay. But, uh, yeah. So that took 10 years off, and Frontier Records called me last year and said, you guys want to play at this 30-year re- reunion yeah. with uh, you know T.S.O. Elliott and the Adolescents and who are the other bands? We got that thing? The- uh, did the middle class? Yeah, middle class played some Rick, bands yeah, that Rick she, Agnew. yeah, bands that she reissued that really weren't on Frontier, but yeah, Flyboys, the Flyboys, Rick Agnew solo, yeah. All <laughs> um, I think they were, were they Choir Invisible that night? Or, remember when they changed to Choir Invisible? <laughs> yeah, they Invisible? recorded up at Radio Tokyo. Yeah. So we did that, and and that was kind of fun and funny. And I'm like, okay. Colonels did that too. They changed yeah. their name to Hundred Flowers. Hundred Flowers. Like, yeah. Change the name. Right. They went back. Yeah. <laughs> they called the Colonels. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> Flowers did. Or or remember the Alley Cats changed their name to Zarkons. <laughs> Good move, guys. <laughs> Randy lives in Pedro. Was he from down here? That's what no, I thought. Was, they were Lamita. The they were Lomita. Right, there but you he go. He lives here now. He uh-huh. was at the gig Saturday. He's night. still around? What oh, about yeah, Diana they, Chai? He's got a, a little fanzine with recipes. Okay. Yeah. Well, Actually, I think originally he was from the hill. What, what, what about uh, his wife, Diana Chai? Diane. Diana Chai? Some trippy thing with the management... And also manage rat. And it was, you know, it's racket stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's all yeah. soiled and yeah. squalid. Right, right. Crap, you know. So, Zarkons are no more. Yeah. Well, we do, uh, Dose does one of their songs, Angel's Face is the Devil's uh, Daughter. And Jeffrey that. Lee Pierce was in love with uh, Diana Chai. Or Great bass player. Yeah, she was. And sang, sang and played sang. bass. That's not easy. Oh, she was something, something else. That was a good band. Thumb, thumb pick. Yeah, Tom that's right. 
even get into that? Oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. No, I saw that band twenty times. They must have opened for X. Like, yeah, right. I saw X religiously, so I, I must have seen them. Everyone would leave for them. Me and my friend would watch. Like, why does anyone like these guys? <laughs> and then X would come. Everyone would come back in and watch them. So Randy sang like Popeye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah didn't he have a trippy voice? <laughs> yeah, like Popeye. Back, back when you could do that, like, and then then, then <laughs> punk rock just kind of like, no, yeah. you have it has to be in this box, and if yeah. it's not, you're going to get punched in the face, yeah. literally. Yeah, so, uh, and what's funny is some of those cats, that supposedly the slogan was anarchy, which means like, yeah. open, right? Yeah. Open this one way. <laughs> well, I, 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 this is like one of those exact moments where I'm like, the door is shut for me as far as open-mindedness about punk rock. Uh, Alice Bagg told me this story. She ran into uh, the drummer from the adolescence, and he had a swastika on his arm. And she said, why are you wearing that? And he goes, what? I'm not a communist or anything. Like, you don't get it, pal. Like, yeah. That, that, that's where I'm from. Was that Casey, the DI yeah, guy? Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> and, and all those guys, like that second generation, all those people, they were like into heavy metal. They were into like UFO. And yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that stuff now because I, there's no pressure on me to hate it or like it. So I listen to it with open ears. But at the time, I'm like, no, you can't be into that. That's, that's, those are the people that wear flares and have mustaches. No, you can't like that. And that's where the adolescents are totally coming from. They're just like, you know, I, 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 I got to know those guys after the adolescents broke up. And, you know, they're like, yeah, we didn't know. We didn't have the Sex Pistols record until like 1979 or something. We didn't even know what punk rock was until somebody, yeah. Rick probably was the first guy that turned them on. Same with the middle class. It's funny listening to them like the one guy that you know Mike Patton told me uh, like he told people that The Damned was his favorite band even before he'd ever even heard them because he just heard there was a band called The Damned like what's your favorite favorite band The Damned and that is just awesome that is just so Orange County being 17 and trying to impress people I love it I never heard them yeah we're gonna come up. We're up to the point of the show where Brother Matt's gonna do his thing. Cool.
something real groovy. which Dr. Hoffman was processing in a variety of ways to see if he could find something to tone up the nervous system. One of the formulas he, formulas he compounded was designated as number 25. It was not until five years later that Dr. Hoffman discovered that his formula 25 was a psychedelic drug. While working with it, he accidentally inhaled some of the fumes. Within a short time, he began to hallucinate. He wrote that for two hours, he had fantastic visions of extraordinary vividness, accompanied by a kaleidoscopic display of intense coloration.
and search. Medical authorities point out that what an acid user really does is to degenerate gradually into a mental vegetable without ambition, without goals, and without the will to struggle. Gradually, the user withdraws more and more from social contact as the inner core of his entire personality seems to wither away. adventure in acid ecstasy. to detect, especially in a liquid solution. In a single ounce, there are approximately 280,000 doses. This means at the going rate of $5 per dose, an ounce of LSD-25 would be worth approximately $1,400,000. In liquid form, LSD has appeared in small antidotes, right on up to large bottles labeled it may be found in crystalline form and packaged in capsules, or it may come as white powder and in the form of tablets. The latter are usually dissolved in a sweet liquid, or in water and ingested. Or the liquid may be soaked into a cubic sugar, an animal cracker, or a candy wafer. It has even been found in chewing gum and the gum flaps of envelopes. A common cigarette can conceal $50,000 worth of LSD or 10,000 doses. Don't break from the heart of the nation. Don't break... 
thumbprint on the heart of the nation. Thumbprint. Thumbprint on the heart of the nation. Regaining the consciousness of previous years of our existence 
shed light where the darkness is. Align yourself with honest men. Hush not so talkative, or we won't hear what's in the distance. Ancestors honored them, ancient ones in our obligations. Philosophers, mathematicians died with these last wishes. To the next generation, carry on our reputation. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, your time is wasted.
July 19, 2011, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show. Yeah. 
is not flip side Jerry when the old guy is the flip side man. I didn't make that distinction. I apologize. But, you know, I think you got still a good band last night. You know, I, listen, I sit out there and listen, me and my wife, after the other kids sit out there and listen, you know, and they did, they did good, man. Uh, it wasn't a sorry band. It was a good band. And uh, anyway, I just apologize that I didn't call back the second day. And if I can make amends with, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to lose the, the, the gig and I wouldn't want to do you wrong and I definitely wouldn't want to do your daddy wrong. So anything I can do to to make it better, I will come and play a free gig. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do, man, to make it better. And I will try, to, try not to be so damn confusing on how we talk about what it is. I mean, maybe I need to write it down. You need to write it down. I need to send it to you. Okay, it's this person, that person, and the names, and it's this time, and it's this amount of money. You can, you know, yay or nay. last one this is a massive thank you to all of you lot that turned up big thanks to phil behind the screen oh yeah there's a photo afterwards and you're all on the back cover of the album you beautiful people thanks for coming down i'd like to take this opportunity to plug my special brew uh beyond sale with billy yes <laughs> well, we're not here. That's enough for now. But you keep on trying, no more faith, but just a put me down. Well, we're not here. That's enough for now. But you keep on trying, no more faith, but just a put me down. In fact, I'm just that I'm lazy. I'll just sleep all in your bed. In fact, I'm just that I'm crazy.
Yeah, we're just the warm-ups. Pod for Pedro Show, start off the third hour with something live from Gun Club. I hear your heart singing. Ward uh, has uh, not the clearest recollection. <laughs> I, I can't, cl- I, I don't remember that song. Okay. <laughs> and then Wallpaper Skin, Agent Ribbons. God, where are they from? Austin. Is that what, they live there now, but I don't think they're from there. I think they're from Sacramento. Yeah. And looking for a sign by the ultimate Baby J. Yeah. Who's uh, San Pedro, Baby Jess, right? And then, uh, oh yeah, this band gave me their record. When You Walk by We Have a Meth Lab. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah we love this band name. <laughs> <laughs> Probably get very real easy going over borders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Jerry Loses the Gig by Doug Walters. And oh well, by the super fast girly show. And uh, yeah, so God, that was kind of a down thing. Uh, uh, you've you've said all you had to do with music, hmm. but you're here with your guitar. Yeah. You can, can you play us another song? I'll play another song. I mean, I, I this is what I do at home. I'm very fortunate. I. Uh, I got a publishing deal from Matador when I was in the Liquor Giants. It was like $3,700 was the first payout. And I took that with my savings and I bought a house in Silver Lake for $115,000. That house is worth a million dollars now because of the ridiculous (laughs) real estate thing. I did a lot of work and I built a third unit and I'm just a landlord now and I don't work. I play baseball, I travel, I read. I you play, must keep your property up. Yeah, I I, I prune the trees and well, I. Well, there's some work. Uh, yeah, and then I got into architecture. I mean, I'm interested in other things, but I, you know, I play guitar every day. I sing songs every day. Oh, so you ain't giving up on music? No, I, I love music. You're talking about the racket. Part. Right, yeah, the racket and the writing of the song. The writing of the song is very difficult. I mean, oh. I could I could write you some songs right now, but they would suck. Oh, uh, that's you know, why you're talking yes. about John Fogarty. It's, it's that very, he had it in him. He was working up to that. Yeah, he was, he, and he was thinking about it all the time. I'm not thinking mm. about it anymore. That's what you meant by being in shape. Yeah, by being in, in songwriting shape. You know, somebody who's not in songwriting shape, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what the guy who is really like has worked his way up. He's made two or three records, and now he's ready to just bust out this. It's all coming together. That's the guy I want to hear. And maybe the record's just before that. You know, what uh, about gig part? Performance. performance that's fun yeah I'd and do that's that. what you're going to do on the 29th Shoot, man, at, I'll uh, play with uh, Blue Cafe in yes, Long Beach that's right you're going to get be jumping up and down and what and was your last jump up and down it was in November with uh, oh that's right uh, with the Frontier thing and that mm-hmm. was really awesome because before then uh, probably Gun Club about three or four years before that we did a reunion thing with, oh, yeah. with Kid and Terry and then a, just like a group of different singers uh, of local up and coming bands that was kind yeah. of cool We've done that before with you know John Doe and Dave Alvin and Bob Forrest and you know other you know local yokels, but uh, yeah. Other than that, I'm pretty much just a living room strum. So you don't guitar. like performing so much. I do, but you know it's like lifting an amplifier and getting in a station wagon and then <laughs> waiting around after sound check. Yeah. And then someone going, "Here's seventy dollars." Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just I'm not famous or super popular, so there's no. You know, huge payoff uh, 
financially. And, and, and it's also kind of nerve-wracking, you know. It's just to, to get in front of people and go, here I am. Well, oh, I know. know. So even though I've played a thousand gigs, yeah, it's, 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 you know, everyone's watching me right now. So we're going to watch you right now. All right. Well, why don't I play a song? It's, uh, not really into this guy. His name is, uh, Graham Parsons. Oh yeah. But, uh, he was in this band before he was in the birds, which was before he was in the burrito brothers called the, uh, international submarine band. And uh, it was way more original country, and I just, I love country, and this is just, I dig this song. I think it's in G. Sometimes I get upset when people treat me bad. I don't have time to think, so I get real mad. I pull my hair and find somewhere that I can be alone.
we heard something from the Liquor Giants, and uh, it's raining butterflies. And this is a awards period where you uh, want to invest in songwriting time. And um, yeah, tell us about this because it's uh, New York City's involved. Yeah, well, I, I moved there for four years with one girl, and then moved back. But uh, New York was a great experience. I met people that had more records, more books, seen more movies, were smarter. Etc. And so, one thing, Cali. <laughs> yes, believe it or not, you, 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 no one knows about this about New York. It's yeah, it's the mecca of you know intelligentsia for the the Western world. Well, it's trippy because it's, a lot of the cats aren't from there; they're from yeah, somewhere they're else. All from so other it's places. It's a magnet that brings. Yeah, the people that are actually from New York are just the same people that are from anywhere else. Yeah. But the people that come there to, yeah. to to study and then stay there and you know have a degree from Columbia but are tending bar. Uh, yeah. Whatever. I, I those are the people I met, and you know, I just I, I learned what a major seventh chord was, and you know, just got more into songwriting there. And uh, I didn't have a lot of friends because I wasn't from there. I'm not really a sociable person. But uh, anyway, I moved back from there with uh, a different girl, and then we broke up. And I I made the uh, the self titled Liquor Giants record, which is just a breakup al- album. And then the next album, I just I didn't want to do that, so I just was forcing happy songs and I kind of rewrote God Only Knows by the Beach Boys I just sort of inverted the chords and uh, there are all these butterflies flying out of my uh, in my backyard and I go that's like the, the cheeriest poppiest most saccharine thing I can think of and I just sort of wrote uh, going for like just that ultimate like 1971 you know uh, raspberries or what's that song uh People say she's crazy. You know, uh, love grows. You know, love grows love, like those kinds of just like like the end of AM radio. I just wanted to capture that. Love feeling. goes where my yeah. Love rose. grows where my rosemary goes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really into that guy that wrote that song, who who also wrote a ton of other stuff from that period. And so uh, yeah, I just uh, I just did that like as. Like therapy, I don't know if I, if it's how you came up with music, but for me, you know, what an awesome outlet, you know, getting to hang out with your friends and put your life on on tape, you know, yeah. and, and write songs. However cornball that may sound, that's really... I was never thinking about being famous or making money. I just wanted to do this thing, it's, you know. It was totally inside of me. You know, I woke up every morning thinking about where do you go from the four chord in the middle of the chorus there. You know, that's that's how my brain was working. So, yeah, wow. I think that's the best Liquor Giant song is that Raining Butterfly song. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. That's the peak right. of my... my now we got to play. Canon. Yeah. And uh, then we heard uh, Bullet Jammin' by Walkie May. Which is a bullet, uh, she can send a bullet train. You know, they got them fast yeah. trains. And then we heard Bottom of the Pool by Fifth Story Tenants. Matt, you're going to have to tell us about that because it's your band. Uh, well, that was in like 1999, our first record. And Ward actually assisted on that album, so that's how I got to know him personally. And, uh, Assisting meant sitting on the couch and playing guitar. Oh, he's on that song? <laughs> no, he helped assist the whole album, you know, just a bat. He, he didn't produce the record, but he, wasn't he, was, recorded. he was there for a day, helping out. It wasn't out. his guitar being recorded, I mean. 
I don't you know. be- I don't believe so. I was just do it again. I was that guy. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 To, it's a tape. Do it again. <laughs> but the cool thing about that track is uh, yeah. local Pedron Sheila McSherry from D Max sings that female voice there in the background. So she g- gave you. it a great touch. That's not you. No. <laughs> you ribbing me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> so they're playing soon, aren't they? D Max. Yeah, they're Coco. Where's that show at? Bruco? I think so. Bruco, I think, yeah. Six Streets. August, maybe. Bruco. I think it's August. Best the place to play. <laughs> yeah. Under the stairwell. Or something. I remember doing, playing with there with Pete and Jerry. Whoa. Uh, you're playing on July 29th, We're right? playing the show. This gig with the well, Pontiac I, Brothers jumping up and down. Yeah. There's different people in, in Liquor Giants. Yeah, actually, uh, the singer in the Pontiac Brothers was the drummer in the middle class, and yeah. Eddie in the subtitles. Right. And then when I moved back to uh, L.A., I, I said, hey, do you want to play drums in this other band I got? And he said, okay. So he's the drummer on He's this, the drummer in this band. On, on this band, So yeah. that's common thread. Yeah. No, the, we've, we've the other been, two cats are different. Yeah, just uh, buddies and... Uh, like, again, for you young listeners out there, you know, don't necessarily join a band with the best players get in a band with people that like the songs you're writing and are you know like going to champion the stuff you're doing that's way more important than playing with that that's good advice than than, than really top-notch guys top-notch guys I, I remember paul westerberg said this i wish i had he said there's nothing more boring than a professional musician now i love guys that can really play but guys that are just you know trained and don't have any soul go away uh, you know, I, I like the people that are just letting it all hang out and uh, and get better with time too. You know, should I, I tell them about the Les Paul, the trade? <laughs> I had a '91 like. Rickenbacker at the studio in '99, and he had his. Is it a '56 Les Paul? I think they only made him one year, so yeah, that year that is. And he traded the Le, the '56 Les Paul for our '91 Rickenbacker. Yeah, and uh, I think you even said, "Don't pay me the 150 for the." Recording and it's oh, a really? straight trade. Oh, okay, and um, so we made that trade. And it's funny when you played at Al's bar, he had a natural ice, you know, beer thing spray painted on this '56 Les Paul. I mean, if you if you gussied up that Les Paul, it'd be worth fifteen thousand dollars, you know. But I know it's been cracked. Yeah, four somebody or five else times. Has, somebody else had stripped it, and yeah, <laughs> I think I paid two hundred bucks for it or something. It's still the silver, the uh-huh. last silver that. You yeah, had. but I don't know about that. Th- that'll be showcased. Maybe collector people. Are that'll, yeah, collector not musician people. people. Not musician. People. <laughs> yeah, <They're> different. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we called him a Les Paul traitor. Uh-huh. Traitor, get it? I met Les Paul. <laughs> He's quite. A, he's a character, man. He was a trip. I saw him when I lived in New York. I lived right across the street from this club. He played Sweet every bases? Monday night. Or uh, Ruby it Tuesdays? Called, it was called uh, something Tuesdays, Black Tuesdays, or something Tuesdays. Ruby Tuesday or something? No, it was something Tuesday. Fat Tuesdays. Fat Tuesdays. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen him there. He it was had like a what do you call that residency? Yeah, he had a trio that played every Monday night, and he had a sinus condition. I just remember he was just always blowing his nose, but like. God, Les Paul sitting this far away from yeah, me, yeah. and you know, and he, he just played Les Paul music. It wasn't 
you can't pigeonhole what he was doing. It wasn't it was jazz, and it was it was totally no no sustain. I, uh, he yeah. came and played here at this weird yeah. club in Torrance called what was that called? It was it called Plush Pony for a time? The oh, Strand. Oh yeah, was yeah, yeah. yeah. I and I had a in Smyrna. I got a Les Paul signature. Yeah. In the old days, you could buy these old bass right. guitars yeah. and shit before internet. Yep. Picano, right? And it's the Les Paul signature. He's playing in town. I'm gonna go him <laughs> sign it, you know. And uh, I go there, and he's eating a donut. <laughs> and sound check, you know. I come in the side door uh-huh. to go do this. His band was just a rhythm guitarist and a stand-up yeah, bass. No, that's what I saw. No drumming. Yeah, the guy, mm-hmm. the rhythm guitarist, was so intense, and the stand-up they didn't need one. And his music was tricky. Like I remember, no sustain. The notes would just die. He's, and he used to whammy a lot. Well, when he went to talk to me, he put the donut on the whammy. And then he talked to me for like two and a half hours. And then his band was getting all pissed, you know, <laughs> waving, waving. And then he goes to sign uh-huh. my bass. Yeah, you got one of those. Yeah, he was telling me all kinds of shit about how he designed the Capitol Studio and how they forgot to put in the echo chambers. They had to dig up the parking lot and put them back in. Because they're just hallways with the yeah. speaker and a microphone. Right. All this stuff, you know, about his arm and um, he was in Bing Crosby's trio. He told me about touring oh. with him in the, like the late forties. Yeah, he was. He was. And finally gets to sign him my thing, and uh, he puts "Keep on Picking," Mike. <laughs> and I, you know, I use my fingers. <laughs> so i have done gigs with this thing, yeah. so it's only like half on there. <laughs> I <rubbed> it off. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, to me, those things are made for playing. If you, yeah. you know, collectors, yeah. you know, like Dirk and shit. Now it says keep on plucking. <laughs> oh, it says keep on picking stuff. <laughs> In fact, some guy with us, uh, that Stooges thing uh, at Altamar's party, the, some security guy said he was Les Paul's security guy for years and he broke out all these picks, he said, that were handmade by Les Paul. They were all these little plastics, all, oh. uh, whatever, scraped off like he'd do them on the tabletop. So, I don't know. I heard a story where he and his son were driving back from a gig in New York to Philadelphia, where he lived, I guess. Yeah. And they stopped off to have a beer at some roadhouse place, and the band was playing. This was like early 60s. It was just like a black R&B band. They got back in the car, and they said, what did you think about that guitar player? I said, that's the best guitar player I ever heard. Said, Let's go back and watch that guy again. They went back, the place was closed. He said like two, three years later, he heard Purple Haze on the radio. He goes, that's the guy. Oh, and he wow. met Jimi Hendrix later and said, did you play at a roadhouse in 1963 or whatever? He goes, yeah. He goes, but you were playing right-handed. He goes, yeah, I, I could play right-handed or left-handed. That's just, I love that oh, stuff yeah. where two giant people like just bump into each other. And wow. On. Some in Miles' book where he wanted to do sketches of Spain with him. With, with Les Paul? Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, oh, okay. And Jimmy was all embarrassed because he couldn't yeah. read music. Right, right. You know, he used to sing with the lights off, I heard, in the studio. Yeah. He's kind of a shy guy yeah. in a way. He had no confidence in his vocal. Yeah, so. he was a bitchin' singer. Yeah.
Roy Wood song uh, yeah. wrote for this band, The Move. Yeah. Who, if you're a real pop geek, you will just go nuts over. Uh, <laughs> he was a tripper. Yeah, he was a really weird guy that did a million different styles. And uh, one of his, maybe maybe Yellow. Well, you he wanna... formed Yellow with Jeff Lynne. That first album did nothing, and then he quit, and okay. then it went off to be. But do you um, wanna? Do ya? Do ya? Is that, that that's a Move song, but Jeff Lynne was in The Move at the end. He. He did like this fake Phil Spector, a couple Phil, Phil Spector type <laughs> records that were really out there. Um, but yeah, I just one trippy of those guys that I absolutely love. Liked the same kind of music as me and was a weirdo. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, definitely. Matt Coco, thanks for bringing him aboard, yeah. making it possible no to facilitate. Brother Matt, thank you for your always Certainly. essential aiding and abetting here at the Low Grotto. The big gig, jump up and down time to July 29, Long Beach, not too far from Orange County, uh, not too far from Pedro, but I will be in Corsica, sorry, my first time there. But I would, I'm going to be there with you in spirit, Pontiac Brothers in Fifth Story Tenant. Who else? The Things the from things. Long Beach with a Z. They're a great party band. They're playing last. Okay. And then Good Fiction is this kind of pop band. They do a replacements cover. They went through the mill on Sire Records, mm-hmm. too. And uh, the funny thing is the singer of Good Fiction is a spitting image of Matt Simon from the Pontiacs. Tall guy with the suit on. You'll, you'll see... <laughs> So we'll have two. Did you put this together, this gig? Yeah. Okay. Well, after the you know after the frontier thing, I just thought they'd have a hankering again, and I contacted them, and here we are. Took a while, but (laughs) best of luck, and like I said, honor to have you aboard. And your music journey is trippy one and a good one, and maybe kind of pine top Perkins. (laughs) It's not all the way on the shelf, right? No, it's great. Kicking around a while. Yeah. Thank you again, okay? Thank you, Everybody, it's been July 19, 2011, Watt for Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.